A friend of mine works for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I'm sure you've heard of that. And we were talking one time about what they look for in an agent. He said, you know, at one time what we were looking for is people who are just on the straight path to the top. And he says, then we began to realize that sometimes those folks didn't make the best agents. And he says, now we're looking for people who uh, have dealt with some difficulty in their life and proved to be resilient. They found that bouncing back, even after a mistake or two, is considered an asset. The thought is that those who have been broken by life and dealt with it are more ready to deal with what the rest of life throws at them. That's true. I think it's true. You know, I used to coach a lot, and when I coached, my very best teams are the ones that didn't go undefeated. They were the ones that had this resilience. They were able to bounce back after a hard defeat. They'd fight their way through the loser's bracket to the championship game. There's something about losing that prepared them to win. Three times this year, one of our, my staff colleagues, Joyce McAndrew and I, uh, teach our refocus program. And the refocus program is for those who are going through or have gone through some relationship failure. Uh, and because of that failure, they need to learn how to bounce back. And we try to teach them how to bounce back. Uh, not everyone does, but most do. They recover their life their failure ends up being their greatest teacher. If truth be known, our lives are all shaped by more by what tests us than what, than what rewards us. Life isn't all about winning all the time because it just can't be. We all know that life is difficult. Real life, even the abundant life of a Christian, right, is more often about coming back after something hard hit you. You know, I've been shaped in unimaginably deep ways by the divorce of my parents when I was young, my own failed marriage, and losing a position at a church in the most unfair way possible. Those hard descents into darkness forced me to look up and wonder if I had a future. And that's why we're calling the sermon today, Descending up. <laughs> you know, those folks, uh, and we all know some of them, who go on and on about being a self-made man or woman, uh, and don't even pretend to do the hard work that leads to healing and transformation, those kind of people I struggle with trusting, just being honest. But people in my life who don't pretend that everything is okay when it's not, and are courageous enough to use whatever is thrown their way as an opportunity to become more and more like Christ. I gotta tell you, those are the people I wanna be with. Henry Nouwen calls them the wounded healers of our day and age. They are the one God uses over and over again. Joseph of the Old Testament was a wounded healer. And that's how he achieved the greatness attributed to him. Dan talked about the average Joe last week, right, Dan? A little spoiled, a little pampered, a little too cocky when he was young. 
His brothers didn't like him much and plotted his death, but instead sold him into slavery. And so dad's favorite ends up being taken to Egypt. He ends up being owned. That's what happens to a slave, you know. They get owned. He gets owned by a man named Potiphar, who was a very important official in Egypt. Potiphar sees something in Joseph and gives him charge of his entire household. Potiphar's wife finds herself lusting after Joseph. You know, the scripture tells us that Joseph was handsome and a well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife could be described as, let's see, how do you describe Potiphar's wife? Let's say this, she was a woman with an abundance of pent-up romantic urges. Joseph resisted the advances of his master's wife, but is framed and accused of sexual assault, and he ends up in jail. His leadership gifts come to the forefront even there, and he is given some privilege and responsibility while in prison. While in jail, he interprets two dreams. One dream is about a death, the other is about restoration. The baker ends up dying, and the cupbearer Pharaoh catapults back into his place of honor. Both of those dreams came into reality. Unfortunately, the cupbearer forgets about Joseph for two years. Just forgets about what he did, how he interpreted the dream. And then when Pharaoh has a dream that needs deciphering, the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph. Joseph is rushed to the Pharaoh. He deciphers the Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh decides, I need a guy like you in my cabinet You are now my number one guy in Egypt, from the outhouse to the penthouse, (laughs) in one fell swoop, in charge of everything. He orchestrates a massive relief effort to save Egypt. He reunites to his family, and the Jews come to their temporary home in Jesus, which would be the launch pad for the exodus, and a great story that's part of our salvation history. Throughout the story, in Genesis, the scripture tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. And we know that Joseph was with God. The story of Joseph is dramatic. I'm even thinking of writing a musical about it, but it's dramatic. I think it might work. It's dramatic, but Eric Camfield and I, who are sharing preaching duties this week, uh, just wondered together this week, we wish there was more of the story. It's almost so dramatic, you know, that years are just swept into just a few paragraphs that you always wonder if there's more to what's going on. For instance, how many of you think Joseph might have had a dark moment or two after being thrown into the pit? Think? or after being sold into slavery, or after the seduction that led to false charges being leveled? Do you think he had moments when he wondered, why are all these bad things happening to me? Could he have been asking himself, okay, God, what are you doing? Why, why would you treat someone that loves you like this? It's the same question you've asked at times. It's the same question I've asked. I have no doubt in my mind that Joseph had moments of struggle. What do you think? You think? 
I have no doubt about it at all. Human nature tells us that. We question, we doubt, we sometimes struggle with God. And actually, Joseph's storyline is a familiar one in Scripture. No one seems to have a straight line to the promised land. No one. I love the Apostle Paul. He, he, he gets straight to it sometimes. He's a man of great emotion, great vitality. And he says this, he says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, right? We boast in that. And then it goes on to say, not only so, this is what, this is what got to me. He says, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because why? What does suffering produce? It produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul is straight on with this. It's not if we're going to suffer. It's not if we're going to go through some things that are going to be really hard for us. It's just a matter of when. Author David Benner says, well, Christian spirituality is a spirituality of descent. It invites us to follow Jesus, who Isaiah called the man of sorrows, to follow Jesus on a journey of self-emptying surrender. And through that descent and surrender, you don't necessarily get to the place you aspire to be, but you find yourself in the place God intends you to be. Do you get the difference? We have our dream. God's got the reality for our life. And this is what that descent does, this descent of surrender. What was God doing with Joseph? Well, it's the same thing he does with us. He takes on, on us on a, a difficult but rewarding journey. And on this journey, Joseph found his voice, his purpose, and his true self. When he finally revealed himself to his brothers, his brothers, who had plotted to kill him, threw him into a pit and decided, that's not enough. Let's do something different. Let's, bring, let's, let's sell him as a slave, when he was confronted with his brothers, this self-surrender, this descent that he went through, through the trials that he had, he was able to stand before them and, and not to get even, but he says to them and says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, huh? but God, it's always that but God, isn't it? But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, brothers, don't, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph discovered something that uh, we all need to discover. He discovered that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Try that with me again. God is good all the time and all the time. 
God is good. Joseph believed that no matter what he went through, God would use it for good, for eternal purposes, for the abundance of Joseph's own life so he could live it out in, in the service to others. No wonder he was able to surrender to the goodness of God. When I lived on the North Shore, a minister acquaintance wrote about friends of his who were given the news that their son had an incurable disease. Everyone, as you can imagine, was torn with pity for them, but they remained remarkably calm and uncomplaining. One night, as this minister left their home, the minister looked at them and expressed his admiration for their fortitude and spirit. The boy's father looked up at the stars and said, he says, Pastor, it seems that we have three choices. We can curse life and what it does to us at, does to us at times and look for some way to express our rage. We can grit our teeth and merely endure. Or we, or we can accept our life as still a gift. We can accept our life as still a gift somehow from God. And he says that first alternative is useless. The second is exhausting. Accepting life and all its ups and downs as a gift from God enables us to go on truly living. That's a Joseph attitude. That's what Joseph did. He accepted the totality of his life as a gift, and as a result of it, he was able to make sense of it all, the good and the bad. Henry Nouwen says the great illusion of leadership is to think that a man or woman can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Joseph experienced the harshness of the desert wilderness and it prepared him to be the leader God wanted him to be. Jesus, who we sing about, we follow, we, we love, also went through his own desert experiences. Joseph was a great leader because he allowed his desert experiences to form him. He had to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with his doubts, his frustrations, and his hurt and allow God to heal him and prepare him for what proved to be maximum leadership opportunities. Over a year ago, I gave a sermon in which I said, God is always up to something. And once that sinks into us, then we need to ask the question, I wonder what he's up to now. I believe that God never gives up, but I do believe we give up on God. I believe God can make something special out of a big, hot mess. You know what a big, hot mess is? We all do. And we have a tendency to only see the mess. I believe God provides us with a redemptive possibility in every moment of every situation. We often don't look for that possibility because our discouragement lays us low. And I believe God sees our suffering and travails as opportunities to grow us up. We want to grow through victory and high achievement. Whether it was in the midst of servitude or suffering or seduction, God proved himself 
faithful to Joseph. And Joseph understood that God was guiding him and growing him. I believe Joseph paid close attention. When we pay attention to all those kinds of things, all those things in our life, the good and the bad, I believe that there's a very real possibility that our personal and spiritual growth will deepen and widen and accelerate. But the way up is most often down. Into the pit, into the prison, into the despair that comes from betrayal. And those are the very things, let's be honest, right? Those are the very things we spend a lifetime trying to avoid. They scare us. We feel vulnerable in the face of great adversity. And we don't like being vulnerable. How many of you see vulnerability as being a weakness? No? Anyone, anyone here? You can raise your hand. Yeah. Raise your eyebrow. <laughs> Brene Brown is a professor at the University of Houston. And she's spoken at the Willow Creek Global Leadership Summit in her first TED Talk, uh, given about vulnerability, has been viewed four million times. And she talks about vulnerability and its sister, shame, as being the keys to creativity, change, and innovation. How many times at this church have you heard someone stand up here or in some other station and be vulnerable about their life? You ever heard Dan do that? Eric Canfield, Tracy, myself before? Did you think they were weak for talking about their vulnerability? Whenever I hear people talk about their, their weakness, the things that make them vulnerable, I go, man, that's a person of courage and strength. Because of their vulnerability, because of their willingness to share the truth about their life, I trust them. They've walked through the desert and come out on the other side. That always gives me hope. They've surrendered themselves to the goodness of God. I don't, that doesn't happen sometimes when, when people just, well, sometimes people, they give you a motivational speech, <laughs> but they don't reveal anything about themselves. This past week, I grew in admiration for a new friend of mine. He's another pastor. There were three or four of us that were sitting around talking. And he's a military chaplain uh, with the National Guard. And he's had two or three tours in the Middle East, for sure, in Afghanistan. And we were talking about Memorial Day. I asked him what that day was like for him. And he said, for me, Memorial Day is a day to remember people who have fallen in battle and to mourn them. And then he took out his phone and he began to look for a picture. And he showed us the picture. It was in Afghanistan. Four coffins. Four soldiers he had cared for who had lost their lives in the firefight in Afghanistan. And there are pictures of the service he officiated. 
And he said softly, but I thought vulnerably to say this. He says, for me, Memorial Day isn't a time for parades or even patriotism. I can do that on Veterans Day. He says, for me, Memorial Day is a quiet day. I don't accept any invitations to pray at gatherings or march in parades or speak any place, even though I've got stories to tell. He says, it's just a day for me to sit quietly. He didn't say much after that, but I know what he will do on Monday. No, he and his family will, you know, get the grill going and they'll have the, their brats and hot dogs and hamburgers. But I know this guy's character and he will sit quietly. He will think, he will pray. He'll ask God questions about why. He'll sit with his, any of his own stuff that rises to the surface. It's a desert day for him a tie to lay himself before God, to face what needs to be faced, not to ignore it or pretend it's not there. And I want to tell you, I would follow a man like that to the ends of the earth. His willingness to be vulnerable and transparent made me proud to know him. Because you know what the world wants him to be? The world wants him to be tough and command strong at all times. But he knows there's a time when he's just got to surrender and empty himself before the Lord, becoming vulnerable and pliable. And that vulnerability, that pliability is what makes him a good leader. It's the source of his strength. All around us in today's world are voices and images urging us to run from pain, inconvenience, and humiliation. We're being told we shouldn't be vulnerable, to never walk in the desert. It's too scary. The good life is pictured as something without stress or struggle. Suffering is seen as a weakness. But what if God actually allows us to endure trials in order to make us whole, to make us better? What if it is the breakdowns that are sometimes needed to create breakthroughs? What if God allows us to struggle to make us stronger, preparing us for whatever it is that he has for us in this present moment. Joseph was tested and refined through experiences of great trouble. And what, what, what emerged was a remarkable leader. Friends, what are the trials that you have been through or are possibly enduring? How might they be creating in you a greater capacity for influence? Are you willing to walk in the desert and just face your demons, to become vulnerable, to face something difficult? Could your wife's plea for you to get counseling be an invitation from God to face what really ails you? Does your persistent and consistent anger during this election season lead you to fall on your knees to ask God why, God why you're choosing bitterness as your friend. In the midst of your financial struggles, what is God really trying to say for, to you? Your fear of visiting an old friend you've wronged, what's behind that fear? You see, God wants to use the ordinary things in our life, even the things that scare us, 
conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. Some of you might be saying, why should I run into the pit of my fear and anxiety? Here's why. Because that's where you will find your healing. That's where you will find the Lord. I'll paraphrase now and again. No one wants to follow someone who hasn't experienced the desert. No one trusts someone who hasn't waded through the swamp and surrendered all. No one really lives until they have learned to trust God in all things. Joseph had no inclination that things were going to turn out okay. But what he did is he remained faithful even in the darkest of times. So must we. So must we. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for the opportunity to be part of a church that speaks about vulnerability often. That doesn't just try to paint a pretty picture of what the Christian life is, even though it's a great life. Lord, give us the courage just to face whatever you put before us, to lay ourselves bare and say, teach us, Lord, in this moment. We want to follow you. We know you have something good for life. And you know, we know, Lord, you can use whatever is thrown at us so that we can better be of service to others. And so, Lord, we give you this. We give it to you at all. We give you our lives. Pray this in your name. And all God's people said, amen.